and welcome to Dwell, a Circe Institute podcast for homeschool moms by homeschool moms. I'm Emily Hill, and joining me are Karen Kern and Renee Mathis. Hey, mamas. Hello. Hey, good to see you. So we had a delightful conversation last time about raising young boys and what does it mean to be a boy and to be a boy mom more specifically, and how are we educating them and what do we do with screen time and are they getting outside and what do we do with their boyness? How do we celebrate that? So today we are going to move along in time and just chat a little bit about being moms of teen boys. This is something very near and dear to my heart at this moment because I have a 16-year-old boy and I'm just in the middle of raising a, what is it? It's, he's not a child anymore, but neither is he a man. So as a young man, as soon as someone can define exactly what these adolescent years are, maybe we'll have a greater understanding. But I love, I love the quote that we've said many times and it's, it's, just, it's just everywhere in, in classical education because it is such a foundational part of a classical education. And that is the child is the father of the man. And that our boys will someday be husbands and fathers or single young men who are um, with, with hope and prayer, um, godly young men who are a part of their community. So I, I don't know if I have very much to say on raising teenagers. Um, maybe I, I come to this from a place of, um, repentance and humility and learning of what does it mean to parent a young man, uh, to mother a young man. Um, but Let's, I would love to hear from you, Karen and Renee, of what was that, what was that transition like between having a child boy who is your, like, they are just like the lizards in the pocket and the rough and tumble and falling out of their chairs. And it's just this whole like boyish experience and stepping on Legos. And and then all of a sudden, um, actually, it's not all of a sudden, it's just like this morphine process of, now you have this boy who is that you you've lost your you've lost your little boy. You don't have a little boy anymore. Um, and you have this creature that lives in your house who you're trying to figure out. What was that transition like for you? I, I think it's it happens when they want to take on more independence and when they are wanting to differentiate from the family and become their own person. And it, it can be really painful. It can be hard for mom because you want to keep all your ch- your chicks, you know, under your wings. And here you have one who isn't so quick to come when you call and isn't wanting to stay there and be warm for, you know, all the reasons. And it all happens at the same time that their voice is getting deeper and suddenly they're taller than you and they're broad and they're strong, like physically strong. And they're they're physically becoming men and you're not ready for it. And you want them to still be with all the other, all the other little ones. And so you have to figure out how do I allow this differentiation to be taking place in this, how do I give them the independence and still maintain the appropriate amount of control without being overprotective 
which is really, really hard. And um, I think like, for example, a small example is, is that when you have teenage boy, maybe, or, you know, they get 13, 14, maybe they don't have to participate in morning time for the same amount of time, or you allow them to take a class outside of your realm. They're doing something online or they're going to community college for classes. At the same time, they're starting to learn to drive. And so they're off doing lessons or they're taking sports. So there's all these physical ways where they're leaving the nest, but it's really hard emotionally for mom to let, to, to watch that happen. And you just have to kind of give into that pain, accept it and let it be. That's what comes to mind first. For me. Karen, that's the truth. <laughs> There's definitely, I remember looking down at my oldest son one time. I'm like, your legs are hairy. <laughs> I was like, where did that come from? Right. It's like growing up and, um, but you're right. There, there is definitely an independence that you start to see. And, and as moms, I mean, I would just tell younger moms, it's coming, just be ready for it. I mean, it's, it's, it's not easy, but just realize it's going to happen. And if, I think as homeschool moms who are so used to being so intimately involved with our kids in so many areas, then all of a sudden we really have to learn how to step back and give some of that responsibility over to, um, you know, our, our sons especially need men in their lives. And whether that's sending them to a, you know, they also need to learn to be accountable to other human beings besides mom. And so for our kids, they started taking classes um, with other homeschoolers in a tutorial or online or um, getting more involved in sports. And then you've got jobs coming in where they have a boss that they're accountable to, um, maybe a scout master, they're in a scout troop. So Lots of different ways that um, we start we start stepping back and letting other people fill some of those roles. But at the same time, you know, we're there with our sons and we we kind of coach them. We we help them. Um, for example, I know when I was teaching in our tutorial and I would have a lot of boys in my classes. I remember that one um, American lit year when I think I had the entire homeschool baseball team in my class. Plus these two or three poor girls who had to listen to us talk about baseball every week. But I had to talk about baseball because I thought the boys were interested. Um, you know, and I loved it when the moms would be like, you know, you're the teacher, you're teaching the writing or the literature. And they would step back and, and they would take more of a role of, um, you know, they're not going to bail their son out when he messes up. Maybe encourage, you know, do you have your papers ready to go? Do you, did you, you know, make sure they have time to do their homework, asking them if they need help, encouraging their sons to call me or, or email me if they had a problem, but more of that support role, right? Um, that that sideline cheerleader and, and support person, um, you're not necessarily going to be the main guy in every single area of your son's life anymore. Well, in, and on the topic of educating teenage boys, there is, I, I think there is a, a huge difference for homeschool moms of teaching your younger boys and teaching your older boys. And I, I don't, I think I kind of went into it a little bit, like probably naively that the teenage years were going to be really similar to the younger years, as far as like homeschooling and what that looks like. And the advice that was given me by so many older moms was put your kids in classes, let them have other teachers. And even for the sake of um, your own relationship, 
And I've really seen the beauty of that unfold of allowing them their own space in that. And as you said, allow them, allow them to fail in that. That's so hard. I really want to like, did you get all your homework done? And like, show, do you want to show, do you want me to read your essay before you turn it in? Because I, I, I mean, I probably have edits that would really help you out here. Um, and just, <laughs> but I mean, and he doesn't want that, you know? And I mean, you know, sometimes we work on stuff together, but just allow them to have their own space. I think, and I think one of the things you said, Karen, um, it was helpful for me because you, you've kind of spoken into my life about um, raising, raising boys um, of in the letting go, there's a sadness in that. And as a mom and homeschool moms are just, we're just so connected, you know, like we are like in charge of their whole education and their whole life and their sports and everything. We've just been, we have been that person to our sons and in the teen years, just name it as grief, that letting go and allow it to be grief and say, it's okay for me to grieve this. And I mean, like, I have literally cried about this of like, I must let go. And this is, I mean, I'm like, I'm in the middle of it. Like God is prying my fingers off of my children because I so want them. I want them to experience a rich, deep, full life. And somehow I know exactly every action and step along the way that they need to get to it. I don't know how I know that. It's kind of amazing. But <laughs> having the humility to say, I don't know. I don't know what this boy of mine needs to walk through. Um, and I'll be honest, in the last couple of weeks, really feeling the, the weight of knowing that my son not only will make decisions. I mean, bad decisions, like in some ways he must make bad decisions, Like he must walk through shadows and he must experience darkness. We all do. That is, this is not just for boys. This is our life. Like we must face brokenness and sorrow and suffering. And it is the thing that I hate most about motherhood is watching that. I'm like, but I don't, I just, I want them to walk a path of just sunshine all the time. So just let yourself grieve that, like grieve the fallenness of the world, um, grieve that your son is going to walk through that. Um, but so you have, I mean, you guys, I, I don't want to say you're on the other side of it because this is actually a universal thing of like, you're not on the other side of it because you still have sons. And you still have sons making decisions and living their own life. And whether through decisions or just circumstances, hard things come about. So would you like share how you walked through either decisions they made or hard things that came their way? And like, I don't want to say how like supported them in it, but or just walked alongside them or didn't or just like stayed out of it. What was that like? It, it's really, it's really, really hard when there's a decision to be made and they make a decision and it's, it wouldn't be your decision. So that's one thing is just letting them, letting them do it and watching the consequences and not rescuing and waiting and watching even the hard things form them because you can't protect them. 
well, you, you, you know, that's for when they're younger, but you can't, life is just hard and things happen. And so how is that? This is a real question, real question from real time mom here. How did that change from, let's say a 13 year old boy to an 18, 19 year old boy? Because it's not like as a, having a 13 year old, you're like, well, I just let them make bad decisions and deal with it. And cause you don't with a 13 year old, even still. Right. I guess I'm talking about launching stages, right? So maybe buying a car, maybe choosing college, choosing a job. Yeah. I have two options or what to do with their money or, you know, from like, 14, 15, 16, there are big decisions, but the the lasting consequences aren't drastic. When they get to be like 18, 19, 20, 21, 22, they can they can really mess up. And you only have mm-hmm. some control. And you have to let it be. Like you say your piece, but sometimes you don't get to. What do you think, Renee? Yeah, I mean it's nobody likes to go through the process of sanctification. I mean, I, I don't, right. God is calling. He says he's going to be shaping us this whole time we're here on earth. And, and, and when you're in a family and you, you rub shoulders with other imperfect human beings, you've got a house full of sinful human beings and it's not always fun. So there um, needs to be, I, I think you do, you know, you shift when they're little, you know, they have to obey because they have to obey and, and you have more control over them because you're, you're training them and teaching them. And, but you do have to shift gears a little bit when they get older and it has to be something that they want to choose to do that, you know, it's their decision to choose to do the right thing or the wrong thing. Um, It doesn't mean there aren't consequences, but you know, you can't, you can't control human beings. They're going to make decisions. And so there's a lot of prayer involved, obviously. There's a lot of conversations. Um, looking back, I mean, I probably wish we'd had more of those conversations. And, and and I will tell you, young moms, kids, always when they do want to have that deep conversation with you, it's at 11 o'clock at night when you're tired. Yeah. <laughs> and you're like, okay, you want to talk about this now? <laughs> All right. Well, or, we'll, we'll stay up. Or we'll talk about get it. A text. You'll get a text at like 1030. Are you up? And you're like, yep, I'm up. Call. (laughs) (laughs) We'll talk about it. Yeah. Karen, Karen, you said that this was a couple of years ago. Um, I had a a new teen and um, what, what, how am I raising this boy? Um, And one of the things that you said, and it stuck with me and it it always comes to my mind when these conversations come up. um, You said, when boys want to talk, talk because they don't always. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's really true for my experience in that I, you know, I have a boy, he's not one of those, like, pour your heart out. Here's all my feelings. Let me tell you everything that's going on in my life. I mean, and I am, I am a verbal processor. So I am very much like that. I'm like, and then what happened and tell me every detail. And then what did she say? And then what did they do? And he's not like that. So if there is any time that he starts talking, I start listening. And, and that was such a, a word of encouragement to me a couple of years ago. Um, Cause I, I don't know, it wouldn't have come natural. I just would always try to like create these talk. Now we're going to talk now. Tell me about that girl you like. And he's like, that is the last thing he's going to do at that moment is tell me about the girl he likes. But some, there's just these 
weird times when you said 11 at night, you know, it made me think of it. Sometimes it's driving in the car. Sometimes it's, yeah, sometimes you put yourself in the way of a conversation, but I've noticed that it's almost never at a good time. I don't know. I mean, like, could we go to have lunch and have this conversation, but let it not be a good, like it is the opportune time at that moment. So thank you for those words, Karen, because it's really made a difference in my conversations with my son of the time to talk is the time that they are talking. And, and it's and different like, with girls. They're not like yeah. that. Don't talk anytime. And related to that, you, you don't get to know what's going on in their soul. I think that's the hardest thing for me. And it's still with one child in particular, I don't get to know unless he tells me, I don't know. Cause it's not, it's his soul. It's not my soul. Mm-hmm. And that has mm-hmm. to be okay. And it doesn't feel okay. You know, yeah, depending on, what, yeah. depending on the child and what they're going through mm-hmm. is it, it can be worse or better, but they're not an extension of you. And we say that from the time they're babies, your child's not an extension of you and their behavior, you know, right. doesn't reflect you, blah, blah, blah. But when you want to know what's going on in their soul and you don't know, you're not happy. It's hard. Yeah, it's hard as they get to be adults. I mean, I think we're moving past teenage years sometimes, but um, they, you can pray. You can pray for God to open the doors to those conversations. But, you know, our, our time of telling them what to do and how to obey, and that's over, right? And they're, they're adults. They're who they are. And, you know, I just love them to death and and care about them and and let them know that they are welcome in our home and we can't wait to be with them and but their decisions you know are their own so looking back you know like during the high school years what were some things that that were important um I think it's important as we raise our sons that they understand the value of a good reputation and a good name that's one thing that what, you know, especially if they're coming from being in, at home with mom a lot to being out in the world and, and going to classes with other adults and being accountable to other people, um, you know, knowing how to have a good handshake, how to introduce themselves, how to look someone in the eye, how to, um, I would have these young men in my classes. And there was one in particular at the end of every class, he would, as he, before he walked out the door, he would walk to my desk, shake my hand firmly and say, thank you, Mrs. Mathis for a good class. And I thought, those parents trained that young man well. And I was always very, you know, impressed because he stood out, right? But he was sincere about it. Um, and just, just the idea that you're, you're teaching your young men, your boys, your sons to interact with other adults and how to do that, because they're going to need to do that. Um, you know, I, I also had interactions with moms who wanted to step in and solve all their son's problems in my class. And I would be like, you know, he needs to be writing me this email, not you. Right. If this is important to him. He can talk to me after class about it. And that, that spoke volumes to me that that she was putting herself in the situation of solving it without letting her son take an active part in this situation. Um, it was really hard for us with one of our sons when he, he made a simple, honest human mistake and it cost him a a grade in a college class that couldn't be recovered. And you can't, 
<laughs> we learned you're one little one little one little human being. You can't go up against the University of Texas, and you know, and, and they're not going to change for you. You, you know, it's, it's it's a mistake. It was sad. It happened, but parents can't go in and rescue their kids all the time. So, well, and it and it seems our motive, our motivation in it is that we want them to live a rich and deep and full life. That's our longing for them. And I know this for my own self, that sometimes I forget that I am here to have life and have it abundantly. And that's what Jesus says to us. Like I have come so that you may have life and have it abundantly. And I, it seems that a pursuit of a rich, deep, full life myself may be far more influential than what I think are really amazing lectures that I get. There you go. One word advice. Don't lecture your teenage son. Man, I'm learning that the hard way. I'm just like, stop, stop, stop. But if our longing is for them to live a rich, deep life, live a rich, deep life. And recognize that as you're parenting these teens, it's to be honest, they're tricky years because you have teenagers and you're in your late thirties or forties. And those are hard years for your own self. So I acknowledge that like, these are probably hard years for you, whether it's health or pre-menopausal or whatever it is, or some of you actually are still having babies. And that's, that's tricky too, to have this, you know, teens and babies, um, but pursuing a life and whether that's reading or, um, I'm like all the, all the ways to have a rich life. Um, it's not just reading. I just happen to love reading, but whether it's, and, um, even in your marriage, and we talked about this, um, on the last one with younger boys of, um, the place that your, um, like your, your husband or, you know, the fathers play in this. If you thought they play a role in those younger years, like I, I cannot even imagine raising a teenage son without my husband. And I don't, like, we don't always even agree on that. But as I said last time, learn to trust your husband with your teenage son. This is like a really big deal. And um, like be on, and my husband and I had conversations about this, be on his side. Like, even if you don't agree, if you're like, I don't like the path you're taking, don't communicate that in front of your son of just, just trust him that he actually was a teenage boy once you never were. Yeah. So what was that? Tell me maybe a little bit about the, the, the father son relationship during the teen years and I, yeah. how you were able to come alongside that. I found sometimes because I sat up this on the earlier podcast, you know, I'm a nine, in the Enneagram, and I like everybody to be getting along and to have peace. And so if an issue came up, like, I don't know, somebody out of the blue or they're one to break the curfew. So like at 1105, when you're wondering where that child is, he's 17 years old, he's supposed to come at 11 and he, and he calls and he says, Hey, so I have all these reasons why I really need to be out till I need to go to one more person's house or I need to do this or I need to do that. And um, Andrew would hear me talking on the phone and he'd say, just tell him to come home. And I'm like, but he has this, this, like the, all these reasons, like they want to, teenage boys are great negotiators. Right? And, and, and <laughs> he'd say, 
he needs to come home. And finally, I just go, your dad says to come home. Bye. (laughs) (laughs) And, you know, because like they could draw me into their web of negotiating like lawyers. And yet Andrew would just say no. And, And he could do it without getting emotional about it. It's like, no, we're not doing that. Nope. Right. End of discussion. And that was really, really helpful. And when I felt like it was being too harsh, maybe, or when I would be like, well, maybe we could just let him blah, blah, blah. And then I, it always turned out that, no, that was the right thing to do. And, and it, they, they learned more from it. They learned, you know, don't, I just got to do it. I just got to come home. Right. I just have to, whatever the issue is, it could be a myriad of things, but it really helped to have dad giving the last word. Yeah. And learn and just, and trusting him, trusting him in that. And as my, um, as my pastor told me this week, there are bigger things in life than being right. And I think there can be that conflict between um, parents in general and teenagers in general of, I know what's best and I'm right. And sure, I, we have some great conversations about they've got to learn to trust themselves. That's another thing. I'm not talking to te- the teenagers here. Um, but recognize that this deep affection and radical love that you have for your son. It's a bigger deal than being right. And I'll throw in classical education here. It's a bigger deal than making sure they have all of the years of Latin and all of the right things on classical education of holding fast to an affection and a love for each other. And I'm not going to stop classically educating and my kids still take Latin. Um, but I will, I will throw that out as an example. Um, my son took Latin for, um, six years and he's 16 now. And I enrolled him in a Latin class and he came to me and he said, can I please not take Latin? I am, I've taken Latin for six years. And you know what I want? I want him to have like a deep love of Latin and the understanding and beauty of language and just what, go on to be a Latin scholar or something. I don't know. Um, and it was at first I said, no, I was like, nope, you have to take Latin. Like you are being classically educated. I mean, he's got this year next of, and he's done with school. And the more I thought and prayed about it, I was like, I don't, it's okay. I can let go of that. I can say, you don't have to take Latin. So we dropped the Latin class and turns out, I think, I don't know, he might be okay. So <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> so. So I think one of the things with with teenagers. Go ahead, Renee. Emily, I was going to say, yeah, one of the things with teenage boys is is that balance between, you know, knowing who they are and what they want and what they want to try. And they're experimenting a lot with who they are and who they want to be. And and I think sometimes we do. We we do have to kind of set our desires aside and say, you know. I thought I thought you'd be taking Latin this whole time, but maybe now is a, a good time to stop and try something else. Um, because I know with my boys, they are so in high school, they were so completely different. I mean, even today, they are still completely different. Um, but but they're good friends, and I love that. And I want to encourage moms that you know, mom, as moms, we tend to be more relational. We tend to have our pulse on kind of the 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 temperature of the family and how everyone's getting along and. Um, just to, to keep working on that and never, never, never let that go because you want your kids to know how to be friends with each other. 
And and that's where you learn that at home. You know, how do you ask forgiveness? How do you, how do you apologize? How do you get along with people when there's, you know, five of you sharing one bathroom or whatever, because they're going to grow up and they're going to get married or have roommates or go to college and have to deal with other people from other families and different, you know, backgrounds. So, um, learning how to get along with everybody is really important, but also part of that is learning that people are different. And I've, I've got, you know, one son who played varsity basketball and was like president of the student council. And, and the other son grew his hair out super long and was drummer in a band with his friends and liked to go hiking and was an Eagle scout. So they just polar opposites, but you know, I love them to death and, and they're, they're great. And today they're great friends and it's fun to see them together. Thanksgiving a couple of weeks ago, they were all together and it was so fun to watch my grown kids visiting with each other and, and hanging out together and, you know, playing games and watching TV and it's precious. It's, that's, that's the reward. You know, that's, that's why we do this. Yeah, I totally agree. One of my greatest joys is seeing my kids interacting and having fun together. And so um, Matt and Renee, they have a really great backyard with fire pit and seating out there. And just to know that all the kids are over there, you know, late into the night, you know, enjoying the fire and talking and being together and how, you know, their spouses all love each other. It's so, it's, it's the greatest joy. And so Andrew John will be home Christmas and, you know, we'll get to do that with him too. And they all just enjoy being together. And yeah, they fought all yeah. the time as teenagers do when they were kids. Um, but that, you know, that's all normal. It's And so is the relationship that they have now. It's the way it's supposed to be. And probably very important right. for many of us to hear that who have teenagers, because I, I actually had a dear friend who walked into, I'm, I'm at school right now, um, who walked into school this morning. And I was like, hey, are you, are you okay? <laughs> And she's like, my kids fought the whole way to school. She's got three teenagers. Um, and they're, they're such dear, they're like dear friends and they're lovely, they're lovely children. Um, so here that, that there is, that there is conflict that does happen between siblings and um, don't give up on having those conversations of what kindness looks like. And Renee, that's what you were kind of speaking to, like have an expectation of, of kindness. Um, in your home and gentleness, but yeah, those things it is. And I love, love hearing the stories of your adult children, um, finding joy in each other's company, because that's, I mean, for every mother's heart, that is our longing that there is a, a peace between these people that we love so dearly. Um, well, as, as we wrap up, um, thank you for, for sharing your, your wisdom and thoughts on raising teenagers and also the joy of adult sons. And for some of us who are looking forward to that, it does give us a, maybe a little bit of a hope for that, but it, it reminds me of um, the story of uh, St. Monica, which is one of my favorite stories. And I'm, I'm substitute teaching for Heidi White this week. And we are reading and discussing City of God. and. In the book we're discussing uh, today, actually, uh, he proposes that like Plato in the Republic, that the longing of every human heart is for peace, which is, he's saying is synonymous with happiness. Our longing, the longing of every human heart is for 
piece. And his final argument, which is what we're going to be discussing with these 10th and 11th graders today, is that the way to peace is for true peace from God is a rightly ordered soul or our loves properly ordered. And as I was preparing for the, this lesson, I realized that this literature discussion was for my own self this week, because it's absolutely true that my soul longs for peace and boys don't seem very peaceful, whether they're <laughs> two or 12 or 20, they seem to be like conductors of like chaos and destruction. Like I swear when my three girls are together, it's just like, everyone's fine getting along. I throw my boy in there. And in two seconds, there's like someone screaming. I just, it just doesn't seem, seem peaceful to me. Um, so I had to think, what is this peace that we're longing for? Is it just for there to be like no problems and realizing that the rightly ordering of my loves is the deeper peace or the affections of my soul um, towards my creator, whose image I bear. And of course, we know that Augustine is the author of this book, City of God. And I'm sure you're all familiar with the story of Augustine and his mother, St. Monica. And I would guess very few of us, some of us, it's true. I mean, mercy and peace to you, but very few of us have walked through the depth of chaos in a relationship like that of Augustine and Monica. I mean, you talk about a rebel and a reprobate. If you don't know his story, look it up. He was like the worst, like your son, like what we all dread to happen to our children. Um, and now he's one of the saints of Christendom. And I love this quote by St. Monica that says, it is not possible that the son of so many tears should be lost. So mamas, when you have those moments of just grief, whether it's in letting go, just the normal, normal part of letting go or um, true brokenness that happens in relationships, um, continue to cry out. They continue to cry out to God. Um, and that was actually the work of St. Monica and her mothering of tearfully crying out to the Lord to keep her son, to draw him back to his true father. Um, and that is, um, that is the salvation of your own soul is that tearfully crying out. So continue in your great work and do not lose heart. And the, the teen years with boys are they're full of adventure and joys and sorrows and tears and laughter keep laughing laugh with your boys and uh, may you find a great mercy and peace during these days and here's to home <laughs>